All right, my friend. Hello. Hey, hey, Caitlin. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Chris? Good. First thing first, we're both in the media. And so we were both, uh, I think, really interested in the New York Times Serena controversy. Can you sum it up for people? I think so. The day that Serena Williams was competing for her 21st Grand Slam, the Wimbledon finals, um, the New York Times ran a story by a friend of the cast, Ben Rothenberg, who's a freelance tennis writer, um, basically talking about the difficulty that a lot of pro athletes, particularly pro tennis players, have with the sort of dynamics between you know, maintaining their femininity and being muscular. The story started with a picture of Serena and sort of a description of, you know, her career highlights and then kind of went on to say that she might not be the feminine ideal. Uh, Ben interviewed a bunch of other players who kind of had like mixed reactions to what the ideal quote unquote body image would be. Right. Backlash ensues. Should we start there? Yes. Backlash ensues. So he actually gets called out by the public editor um, I am always interested in that. I used to work for a media analysis show and I just, I'm not sure that the public editor's statement had a ton to it other than he did a story about an issue and didn't push back about the issue. But I, I mean, it's like, it gets to like the expectations of what a piece should be because I didn't find it. Uh, and I'm a man, but I didn't find it like offensive or something that that would like set back the cause of women in any significant way because he's talking to the women and there's a variety of opinions in there. And I don't know. I just didn't think it was that bad. I um, It made my face feel like it was on fire. Wow. Okay. And I wanted to murder everyone involved in it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Even even uh, Aggie Rod- Rodwanska? So, just... you know, a subtle reaction. Okay. <laughs> First of all, the idea that this is a noteworthy story uh-huh. is kind of, and you, you mentioned it, like he, he should have challenged some of the notions of his own pitch. Sure. Which, which I yes. think is, that's, that, that's no small thing. And when you're a white guy and you're writing about women athletes, particularly women athletes of color, you know, notably Serena Williams, right. the minefield that is talking about women's bodies, sexualization, muscular musculature you know it's 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 sensitive stuff and for a good reason because you know typically women have been you know dismissed as athletes and sexualized and and you know x y and z i don't need to make that point here yeah um so for me just the the fact that it was published felt like already like what the fuck like but wait but wait so what's the what like what what harm was done okay like look i agree it's like a flimsy piece like there just wasn't much to it, but, but like in what way did it set anything back? I think because especially on the day and, you know, they acknowledge this and, and it was certainly a point in the public editor's note, the day that Serena Williams is on the cusp of history um, and the narrative, at least in the tennis world for everyone, you know, I would argue my, both of us included, like are talking about how good her chances are and what her competitors going to have to do to, you know, stay right. in there. All of a sudden, once again, this conversation becomes about like women's bodies and something other than just the pure athletic display and discipline and hard work and all this stuff. Um, you know, and, and that might not, yeah, it might not seem that offensive, but just in, in shifting focus from the conversation that it should have been was our, like, was one thing. Then there's the race and gender stuff, which far articulate and more intelligent people than I, you know, have made better points about. And then lastly, like, they string together a bunch of women athletes 
speaking on this. So you think, well, this is out of their own mouths. Like, you know, they should be able to defend whatever they're saying. And I guess like, I would just argue like why on fucking God's green earth would, would these athletes be asked to have an opinion about it? Um, you know, and well, try wait, to say I something thoughtful. I mean, I think part of the anger from it, I thought came from like, you have these female athletes saying <laughs> uncomfortable things. Yeah. And let's, that, let's, that let's enumerate some of them. Maria Sharapova is like, well, right. I like being, you know, a woman. I don't want to be that muscular. Aggie Redwanska, who's a Polish player, you know, her right. coach saying essentially the same thing. And then the one that had to break your heart. Your, <laughs> one of your favorite players. I can't even say it. You'll I have winced. to explain it. Andrea Petkovic cop to wanting to look more feminine, which is sort of heartbreaking because she's uh, in her current shape, a specimen and like one of the most attractive people, male or female on tour. Yeah. I winced for you. Thank you. I winced for myself too, because she's a feminist and she's like, you know, as we've noted before in the podcast, she's like a person who's like writing thoughtful, you know, politics, politics columns for German newspapers. Yes. Um, You know, and reading like Nietzsche on the road. So basically I, I, yes, you could say that this is out of their own mouths and strung together. I guess I would argue like we don't ask, you know, did, did you find anything illuminating like post Ray Rice from like other football players about like gender and violence and the history of things like, no. And maybe it's a false comparison to say that these two things are on par, but like just every part of me screamed out that like this story was handled wrong. It was timed wrong. The premise of it was wrong. And I know Ben Rothenberg is writing a book about the WTA tour and within the context of what is certain to be like a mostly celebratory, mostly, you know, interested in nuanced look at this, you know, body and this group of women who tours around the world playing tennis at the highest levels. I'm sure that this conversation has a little bit more place, but just plucked out of there on the day that Serena Williams is contending any other conversation that then the tennis itself is suspect. I do think that there was it like there was interesting stuff in it. So like I read it before the backlash uh, and I just felt like uh, I was like, that's a, that's a really weird story. And like, I'm sure part of it's because I'm a guy, but, um, but well, it was so interesting to me. I mean, it was interesting to me that Sharapova felt that way. I was kind of blown away. I was like, really? Uh, you, you, it's, it's interesting. And he could have, I guess, pushed back on that, but it did serve to like, I did learn something about the tour. It was something sad, but, uh, yeah, but it was interesting. I guess also like, how could you do that story without interviewing Martina Navratilova? But then we're getting into like, I, you know, what would be the ideal article on this topic? You know what I mean? Some, yeah, but something that had some sort of like perspective about like, you know, unapologetically, you know, Martina Navratilova revolutionized the game because she was the per- first pro tennis playing athlete, I think male or woman, to like really hit the gym, yeah, you know? Sure. And like you, you really. Yeah, her forearms are to prove it, Um, you know, and how could you just, you know, ignore that? And even somebody who, you know, Patty Schneider, who like was kind of a weirdo and um, this German um, tennis player who never really got that high, but who like followed all these weird health regimens. Like, I don't know, just like or Sarah Arani, who like, you know, isn't a great example, but is somebody who's been accused of juicing because she's been linked to like some of those Italian cyclists labs like give it the holistic thing. It's not just like, Oh, I don't, I want to look pretty. So I just stretch, you know, it's just like, Oh, really? We can't like at least do a three sixty survey of like this whole conversation. That's where I found it, you know, really disappointing. Right. But I think, I mean, just like as a journalist, I think that it, 
Like, it was strange to me that the anger people weren't pissed at Maria Sharapova. I think lots of people were pissed at Maria Sharapova. Yeah. I follow a lot of um, Serena fans on Twitter. And they were like, this is why you haven't beaten her in 11 years. Hey. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, right. I mean, that might be actually part of it, frankly. Right. In happier Serena news, though, yes. I am delighted to report that she makes an appearance in HBO's largely ludicrous uh, 42 hour <laughs> minute. 42-minute movie special, Seven Days in Hell. Okay. Have you have you heard about this movie? The trailer delighted me, uh, but uh, but, I ha- but I have not seen it. Uh, a lot of people liked it. It sounds like you didn't love no, it. I, well, here's something that I didn't think I would say. There's a lot of cock. Whoa. Right? Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not see that coming. I mean, I don't mind cock, but there was a lot of cock. <laughs> wow. I can't. Like in what? In what I'm not, way? I'm not. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's Andy Sandberg, obviously. You know, shenanigans ensue. It's sure. uh, Kit Harrington who plays Jon Snow, and uh-huh. from what I can tell, is his first comedic role. He acquits himself pretty well. Okay, um, like a, a minor constellation of ESPN anchors playing themselves. Okay, Chrissy okay. Ebert, John McEnroe, uh, and yeah. Serena Williams playing Andy Sandberg. Uh, Andy Samberg's adopted sister. The premise is, she... is he was, it's a reverse blindside. <laughs> Richard Williams finds this white kid on the side of the road, adopts him and turns him into a tennis player. Uh, that is funny. I do like that idea. Yeah. the co- I mean, the Cox didn't ruin it for me, but it was definitely a lot. Yeah, sure. Too much. I will say this. They get some really good details right about the tennis world. Oh, really? Um, and I'll like say I'll say yeah. two of them. Okay. Um, but I don't want to ruin anything else for anybody who's going to watch it, including you. Sure. Um, number one, if anybody and everyone should have read this because it's a masterpiece, not just for tennis fans, but you read um, Andre Agassi's book to open, I'm assuming. Yes. It is uh, by far the best tennis memoir I've ever read. And one of the best athlete memoirs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good way to put it. So, if you've read that, you might know that you know his biggest fear was was balding, and that's why he wore the wig. Yeah. So there's a callback to that at one point. Andy Samberg, who has a very similar early '90s Agassi hair. Uh huh. Um, again, not super inside baseball, but a nice little touch. Yeah, totally, totally. Se- second of all, his character also. Um, in in between breaks in the game, goes to Sweden and starts a an eponymous underwear line i like that that's pretty well, good it's based in truth because bjorn borg right as some people know is like a huge underwear magnate in northern yep. europe right maybe we could get um do you think we should try to get my new job is based in sweden should i try to get bjorn borg underwear to sponsor us right at let's try that and then if they say no we'll move down to thomas Enquist underwear <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, yeah I we mean, got big plans here on the podcast big big plans didn't didn't he get to like number three at some point he like made a major final like i just remember him as being like really <laughs> i mean you wouldn't wear his underwear as your first choice i definitely wouldn't i definitely wouldn't um hey i wanted to talk about sort of my favorite moment from wimbledon Ooh, um, yeah which was the last half of the last set between gasquet and Wawrinka. Um, oh yeah the backhand battle the backhand battle between uh gasquet and stan the man yeah and uh and i just thought that gasquet did something that athletes don't get any credit for and i feel like i've done it myself which is that clearly this guy was nervous and clearly 
he's not good in the clutch, right? Yeah. Kind of famously, actually. Famously, he was like one in 17 against top players. Uh, you could feel it kind of slipping away from him. And mm-hmm. Stan was like totally locked in. And Gasquet just fucking became a wall, you know, like like you would say in middle school. Oh, yeah. He, he's like totally a wall. Right. <laughs> Which was a real harsh dig. But he like got through his nerves by just like getting enough balls back. He yeah. did not hit very many good shots <laughs> coming down coming down the pike, but like Stan just made enough mistakes. He did serve pretty well, if I remember correctly. Gasquet did. But but it was kind of cool to watch. He just really yeah. gutted it out. I think it's really interesting when you can like see in sports generally, but I think, you know, something I like to watch for in tennis is when like an athlete embodies an idea. Yes. And then in this case, they overcome that idea or they like go against character, you know? Right. And, you know, this kid, Gasquet, was like France's most famous tennis player in years, probably since Yannick Noah, was right. on the cover at like age 11 or 12 on yep. all these like international sports magazines, or at least French sports magazines. So he had like all this expectation. And then he spent the next 20 years just choking. Yep. You know? Yep. And it was, yeah, it was really nice. It was really great to watch him actually not totally retreat. Yeah, he didn't play great, but he he didn't stop playing his game, you know? Exactly. Sometimes people just stop and they, like, play not to lose, and he didn't do that. Right, right. And, and it was one of those things where, like, I thought the announcers did, did a good job of kind of noting for a general audience that that he was sort of overcoming something. But again, his overcoming, it was this, like, sheer grit because he is such a pretty player. Yeah. But he looked like Michael Chang out there or something, <laughs> you know, like young Michael Chang where he was just like running shit down. Yeah. Uh, he he didn't like, you know, hit four aces and like pump his fist. I think my favorite moment was actually during the women's final. I was really excited um, to see that Muguruza had made it to the finals. Yeah. yeah. And she, you know, for people who don't know her, anything about her and just kind of assume she popped up out of nowhere. She's really young. She's like 22. But she did beat Serena Williams a year and a half ago or two years ago at the French Open right? Um, in a pretty notable like victory and went on to have a pretty good run and has been in the top 20 ever since. And like, you know, it's a big final. She's 20 or yes. one or so. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're running into the buzzsaw that is Serena Williams on the her, you know, seemingly unstoppable march to history um, where she'll probably equal Steffi Graf next month in New York at the US Open yep. in terms of Grand Slams. But like... She rose to the occasion and she still lost, but she had moments. And yeah. it kind of reminds you of last year's final where you watched, you know, my hated Eugenie Bouchard just like <laughs> wilt. And it was really nice to see like this bubbly, really energetic, like really sort of um, aggressive and fierce player yeah. really, you know, really go for it. Lose, but go for it and make for a really exciting and interesting match and so it made me excited about like oh i'm hoping she'll be one of the like kind of stalwarts on the tour you know in a post certainly post serena era because i think that that's probably going to end soon but also you know a lot of these players in their early 30s are not going to be around for so much longer right Uh, although like post serena might be like 2021 or something like at this rate i mean at this rate she might just get 40 like if she has a decline like federer has had <laughs> then we're like seriously 2020 is like definitely in play oh yeah totally um, i was a little disappointed if Fed didn't win it were you oh definitely definitely i mean he looked like those last two sets it was like nope uh yeah. he is a step behind djokovic for sure but it was so exciting that um that tie break 
in the second set was oh so my god exciting. yes it was it, it, the match had its moments yeah. it wasn't exciting as exciting as last year but it was it was still and i loved his neighbor collar i know i talked about it before yeah but fashion wise he was on point exactly he's really good at just like the subtle things that are nice yeah um yeah you know, and I also thought, um, just getting back to the women's final for a second, Muguruza was, um, was like, she's a little bit of a badass. Like, she seems like a little bit tough. And yeah. that was really fun. Like, she felt a little, like, I feel like her game struck me as like a little Lee Na'i sometimes. Mm-hmm. And she hits the ball really hard. And uh, if Maria is any indication, that's not how you beat Serena. So in a way, it was sort of faded. Yeah. Um, but she did, she does seem like someone who's like both interesting and capable of winning majors. And it's great when someone like that bubbles up. I mean, I think kind of the only thing that matters historically is the Serena thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm kind of interested to see if Nadal can come back because like, I'm beginning to worry that it's over and I don't want it to be over Caitlin. He's, an, uh, he's hovering at the edge of the top 10. Yes. If that's he, hard. Yeah. And then it's it just, hard. It's hard to watch. Like he, like seeing him fall reminded me of like, oh, seeds are important because when you're 15, the tournament is a fucking lot harder. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, then like it's not a guarantee that you're going to get past Vavrinka or whomever. Exactly. Yeah, right. no, it's really I w- would love if he had kind of a last stand. Remember when we were talking this way about Roger? Yep. <sighs> yep. Yeah. All right, Caitlin. Hey, Chris, thanks. And for anybody who's listening and really pumped about our podcast, you should subscribe to it. You can do that in iTunes. You could do it in Acast. You can do it in SoundCloud. You can do it pretty much anywhere you want. Just do it because it's fun for us. Or you can always find us on Tumblr at maindraw.tumblr.com.